How's it going, everyone? This is Brian from We Don't Know Yet, a podcast where we learn something new every single day. And today we have Preem Kumar, who is the CEO of Humanly. And we're really excited to chat to you. So thank you so much for being here. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Preem, tell us a little bit about you. What um, really makes you who you are? Tell us your background and how you came to start this new company called Humanly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a Seattle guy. I've been in the Pacific Northwest uh, my whole life. Um, one thing that keeps me going is my two young kids and my wife. So I have a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, which has been, uh, they've been a, a big um, part, obviously, of my life, but also of this journey. I think one of the reasons why I you know, I started my career at Microsoft um, out here in Seattle and really was focused on employee engagement, HR technology, um, product management, really loved the, loved the job there. But, um, you know, I wanted, wanted to venture out and do something that, that might um, follow my passion and really make my, my kids proud. And my passion happened to be, um, you know, starting my own, own business, um, particularly we're, we're focused on making hiring more efficient and more equitable for mid-market companies. Um, so we have a technology mm -hmm. that automates screening, job candidate screening, and helps interviewers be better in interviews. So um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think my kids and my family were a big reason why I decided to go out and do the entrepreneurial um, journey here. Let me ask you this, Preem. How before you went on this entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey, you mentioned that you wanted to follow your passion. So, was what you were doing before? Um, I guess you weren't passionate about it, but was it something that you were doing well with? Like, were you like making good money with it, although you just weren't passionate about it? How was that? Yeah, I was. I was definitely passionate about the work I was doing um, at Microsoft, and and you know, making good money and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. I, but I did feel that um, the impact I was making was um, it was at large scale, but for a very kind of particular part of a product or a particular feature. Um, as I went into the startup world, I was able to have more of a may, maybe less scale. So I'm not um, working um, with as many clients as, as Microsoft had, but I, I am, um, you know, make, having that impact across many different functions, wearing different hats. Um, so I think that that kind of thing really drew me to entrepreneurship, being able to be really close to the customers, be working on, you know, different things each day. Um, but but yeah, that, that's kind of what what eventually made me made me move on. And real quick, just to add on to that, um, with with what you're doing now, like it's a startup. So Brian's worked in the startup world. I haven't, but from everything I hear, um, it is much more stressful and it is much more hours of work than like maybe working for a company. Just because again, it's a startup. So did the work because you felt more pulled towards it because it felt more purposeful to you? Did the work feel like more work or was there was there less stress with it, even though you had more to do because it was something that you felt passion and purpose for? Yeah, great question. And I know Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn had a quote saying, um, I think he said something like um, a, st a startup is like falling out of a plane and building your parachute on the way down. Um, so it, it's cer certainly intense and crazy. But but to answer your question, absolutely, I feel when I'm able to align what really what I'm passionate about, it doesn't feel as much like work anymore. Um, I think with having kids, um, it, it definitely, um, you know, I, I have to have boundaries. So I can't during certain um, hours, I got to make sure I, I shut everything down. And I think also, yeah. so, so, so yeah, I definitely feel like it 
feels less like work, even though the hours are longer. But what what I think has helped me is through having kids, and I had my my first kid when I left Microsoft, but it, it really uh, helps me add more structure and discipline to my day. So when I when I am working, I, I know I have to end by a certain hour. Maybe I can pick back up at night, but I got to be home for for dinner. So I, so I think that that focus has helped, and then. And then yes, I, I do. I definitely do feel when I'm doing stuff that where I have a direct impact on customers, and I, I'm seeing kind of the the fruits of my labor versus being more of a, a smaller cog in, in a larger ocean. Um, I, I feel it feels feels less like work and feels like hey, this is just what what I want to do when I wake up in the morning. If I had a choice about what to do, yeah. I'd like to know more about just the maturation process or the kind of cultivation process that led to Humanly. So Humanly, um, as you've expressed, is a artificial intelligence platform that helps to screen applicants and it also helps applicants get ready for certain positions. So I heard Mark Cuban say on a podcast recently that AI is one of the hardest things to get right. And it takes so many years for you to get it to a place that it actually functions and gets you the results you're looking for. So it sounds like this was a passion. You're really into HR and HR engagement, but tell us how you went from the idea to the actual execution and like, what were some of the steps you had to take in order to get to the space that you're at now? Yeah, I think one starting point for me um, is really kind of, and like you mentioned, it is a kind of complex and takes time, but I think a starting point for us is we looked at, we look at recruiting and hiring and talent acquisition as a very human driven process. So I think starting with the people and not, you know, starting with the tech and, and throwing software at a human driven process was really, really, really important for us in our maturation. We had some ideas, but we wanted to go out and interview a, a, as many recruiters or um, talent acquisition folks as we could um, really find out kind of what pains they're going through and then propose a solution and eventually build a solution that um, took into account what areas we felt should still always be done by people and then what areas we felt um, should be automated. So I, I think we tried to approach it somewhat holistically instead of just um, just going after the tech side. I think oftentimes it's very easy to, to go out and build software without really understanding the, the, the pain. So I think as, as we evolved that and, you know, um, we definitely learned a lot about that. And yeah, Mark Cuban's right. Absolutely. It takes a lot of, a lot of data um, to build these models um, to kind of build out the AI pieces, but at the end of the day, machine learning, um, artificial intelligence is just a solution. Um, so we wanted to spend our time more so on what the problem is um, and, and not be predisposed to one particular solution or another. Um, so that, that was important. And then I think the other piece for us is what, what was really important, just as important as knowing what to build for us was what uh, knowing what not to build. So I think there mm -hmm. it's very easy to, you know, run around in circles and spend a lot of time executing on things and then finding it doesn't have as much a customer impact as, as you um, would like. So I think being really close to our customers, and when I say customers, I don't mean just folks are currently paying for our tools, but current customers, future customers, past customers. Um, and before we had any customers, it was us just interviewing a bunch of um, uh, hiring folks. And how do you, how do you explain artificial intelligence to folks who might not know what it is? Because I think a lot of folks hear 
AI and they think Terminator or they think, <laughs> oh, they're taking all my data and all these other types of things. So how do you explain to them that, hey, this is a tool, this is a solution, but it, it, it has to be geared and kind of fashioned by humans to make sure that it gets the right kind of product or the right outcome? Yeah, great question. I, I think, yeah, it's also, I, I think, thrown around a lot as a buzzword and AI and machine learning. So I think that might le also add to um, the fear because some people are, are using it in ways that is, aren't, aren't um, necessarily correct. So we're kind of careful about looking at it. Really, it's just it's, AI and machine learning don't make or break our company in many ways. What makes our breaks our company is the impact we're having on our customers. And one, one way we have that impact is building solutions that leverage um, some components of machine learning. Um, the, the way I explain it, I mean, similar to to automation, um, you know, the, the goal is to give our customers superpowers, right? So they can do more with, with less time. So what I want to do is, is not take away stuff, but actually add stuff. So by, by automating maybe back and forth interactions where you're scheduling time with a job candidate or by um, automating kind of that initial pre-screening, we're now giving you time back to spend, you know, value add time with, with the, with the strongest candidates. And, and that's, um, you know, part of that is what I, when I talk to a lot of recruiting coordinators, that's, that's what they want to be doing. They want to be, um, you know, using their great, great um, kind of people skills to engage with candidates, not to be um, doing all the manual stuff. So that, that's kind of, I approach it from a place of, hey, where are your pain points? Where are your problems? Um, let's see if we can take some of that off your plate for you so you can focus on the more high value tasks. You know, I'm, 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 I want to know about this because if I was in the job market and I was looking at something like humanly, my first question would be, shoot, I got a lot of stuff on the internet. Like I've, I've, I've posted a lot of things through my day. Like there's a lot of information about me out there. Now, does this, um, does this take that into account of people? Like, does it like, cause it, it's an, it's an AI in a sense. So it can look at a lot of things from a single individual. Does it take the things that they've done on the internet into account into the hiring process? Like what does a person that's trying to work somewhere where this is screening them, what do they need to think about about their data that is on the internet? Yeah, really good question, and we and we try and be really transparent about that. So, I think right now, and I'll, I'll answer the question, of course. But um, right now, the problem is that people aren't looking at enough information right now. So the average recruiter with these high volume jobs where you're getting hundreds of resumes only gets to about 20% of the resumes. And the ones they do read, they spend about, their studies saying they spend about six or seven seconds per resume. So I think right now candidates are not getting a fair look. They're, they're getting, and we did studies on this where I would hand a stack of resumes to someone that's doing hiring and have them highlight um, what, what they look at. And it's just a few things. And then literally towards the end of the day, when it's getting time to get home, you're spending even less time looking at it. So I think one problem is right now, people are not getting a fair look at, at what makes them who they are. They're just, they're being reduced to the resume. Um, we're not pulling data from any sources that candidates don't give us. So we're not finding out information from you unless you've given it to us. But what we do do is we help hiring teams 
have, we feel that, you know, if hiring teams had unlimited time, money, and resources, every candidate interaction would start with a conversation like we're having now. It wouldn't be just looking at a piece of paper. So what we're trying to do with our technology is, is allow you to have those conversations at scale. Um, so our chats in automated fashions will ask candidates, uh, and a lot of candidates say, we're, we're, we feel so happy that, um, you know, I get a chance to explain a little bit about, you know, why I took that uh, year off or I get to tell you more about myself than just what's in the resume. Um, so we just, our clients are the cust are the, um, the hiring companies. Um, um, so candidates apply through our process. We, we don't charge candidates, obviously, but we, we're only judging them on what they give us, but we give them an opportunity to tell us more than they would be able to if they're just submitting an application. And how does this particular platform help? Because I see how this is a huge value add for folks who are applying. Because I remember when I was in grad school and I think I spent, and I logged it, I spent about a thousand hours to get my resume to a place that I felt that it was okay to now send to folks. And it was through this trial and error, getting everyone to look over it, um, a thousand hours. Now, I can see that as a value add for someone who put all this time into their resume, all this time into their profile to get a really fair look. Um, I think you also said that this helps folks get ready for certain interviews or helps them get ready for certain positions. So how does that, how does that come into play? Yeah, so what we're doing now, and and you know, I had a similar experience when I was graduating from, from University of Washington. I really wanted to work at Google. I spent a ton of time on my cover letter, on my resume. Um, you know, I, I submitted it and I never heard anything back, right? And it just didn't feel fair, right? Just the amount of time I'm spending and 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 not not hearing back. Um, so that was I, I actually yeah, definitely near and dear to me. Um, and what what we're finding is that so there's a couple ways we do it. So first off, it starts with just making an experience that's easy to use, accessible, non-biased. So a lot of our candidates fill out these um, chats with us off hours instead of having to hop on a phone screen with a recruiter while they're, you know, on their lunch break of their current job. So we make it flexible so they can do it on mobile. They can do it um, at night um, and, and, and make it just easy to access if they, um, you know, there's also a lot we do around kind of making it so that we remove some unconscious bias. But for, first, I think it's just making it accessible. Um, we're not actually helping candidates prepare. Um, what we're what we are doing though is um, with our new tool, which is called Humanly Voice, we'll actually have our tool sit in on Zoom calls like this, where it's a can if, if, if this was a actual interview, and it will provide feedback um, to both candidates and and the hiring team. So it'll say hey, you're talking over 150 words per minute, which is really bad for candidates where English is a second language, or you're interrupting the candidate, mm -hmm. not letting them ask the right, uh, ask questions. Um, on the candidate side, we can also give them feedback around how they're engaging um, and then remove some of that, that unconscious bias that recruiters have, or that all humans have. Yeah, you know, real quick on the uh, idea of un unconscious bias, um, you know, I, I've only heard about this. I haven't read about it or whatever, but you hear like, you know, when certain places are hiring, like when they see certain names, right? There's there's a bias where they're like, oh, okay, maybe we don't want to hire this person or maybe we don't want to hire this individual because maybe their name sounds Asian, their name sounds black, their name sounds, you know, something else, right? Um, so my question to you is, I 
I wonder with the evolution of hiring practices, if over time, almost taking the human element totally out of it um, would be would be ideal. But at the same time, like there's there's something that like I think Brian can also maybe chime in here and help me out because like when you think about inclusion in certain companies. Ideally, you want the individual that has the most merit, the individual who is best fit for the job to have the job. But at the same time, you do want a more like you do want a workplace that is has a fair amount of diversity, a good amount of diversity for everybody, because that is necessary. Correct. So with that being said, how does this software or how does humanly take all of that into account? And then also at the end of the day, is the big goal for humanly to almost take out the take out the um, the person that has to do the hiring? Is, is that like kind of a goal or is it the goal to assist the individual that's doing the hiring? Yeah, so, so more so along the lines of assisting um, to answer kind of your first question. You know, we, we feel that more diverse teams are better teams, their, their companies have better bottom lines, and there's a lot of research around that. So we, we think that if your goal is to hire the best team, it, you want it to be diverse in many ways. And that's, you know, from a gender standpoint, a race standpoint, but also from a, like, a um, cognitive standpoint, um, so different ways of thinking, different abilities. So we, we think by, um, by if our goal is to help your team grow in the right way, we, we think that making it more diverse is, helps with that. So it's not like two, two separate competing things. Um, the, uh, so as far as like what we're replacing, yeah, there are some, some areas and we have a lot of flexibility in our tools. So we might have some hiring teams that want to automate more than others. Um, but we can do simple things like at the top of the funnel when resumes are coming in, we can hide names. Um, you're right. There's been a lot of research around around how people perceive names, even um, you know certain schools. And um, what we're what we're trying to do is not just hide the parts that we think could cause unconscious bias, but highlight the parts that the areas that we know are predictive of success. So, for example. Um, we have data suggesting that for account managers in Seattle, the difference between four and five years of experience is, is not predictive of success. Maybe zero between zero and four, of course, is different, but four and five isn't. Um, but what is, is something like coachability. So, so I think by showing our customers what aspects make a strong candidate, they're also not spending their time judging people just based on the years of experience or the name or things of that nature. Um, um, so it's, and our goal is, is certainly not to, to replace people, but there are certain tasks that we feel we can, our, our main value prop is around saving you time. And oftentimes bias comes in out of a need to be quick and save time. And it's not a, not a good thing, um, but obviously if um, someone had unlimited time, they could read the whole resume and not just make a judgment based on the name. Um, so that, that's kind of the core product. And then in our, in our voice product that kind of interview, um, analytics piece that I was talking about there's we, we we feel that humans should always will and should continue to do those deeper interviews we're just automating the screening the scheduling in the interview though we will provide feedback to interviewers so that they can you know be aware of their unconscious bias a lot of people are just not even aware in some cases that's so good and I love that you mentioned the assisting both the interviewer and their interviewee because i would always leave an interview and try to 
like as quickly as I could write down every question or write down my responses so that I could learn for it for the next interview. But if I had some type of platform that could help me to say, hey, you should maybe think about this or maybe you should consider this. I think that's going to help a lot of different individuals when they go for different positions in the future. So Prima, I want to switch gears just a little bit because I'm fascinated about this platform humanly and how it helps to hire teams, but I want to know more about your team. So as a startup, and as you guys have been around for a few years now, I want to know about how you hired your initial team. So what were you looking for when you looked for a CTO, when you're looking for a COO, that early stage team? Because we both know that, you know, even within SEMO, in, in being in a, in a startup, who you have on your team can make or break the startup. So what were you looking for when you were trying to bring people on and what kind of culture were you trying to elicit as you brought them on? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that was important to me is bringing people that were really signing up for the the journey, the whole journey, because um, I knew it was, you know, it, it's a big undertaking. We're going to be spending a lot of time together. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that folks were not were there for the all that came along with with the ride. Um, so um, that that was important to me. I think finding skill sets that I didn't have. So um, having a my my co-founder Andrew is is just re- really strong on the, on the sales side. I don't have a background in that. Um, my other co-founder is on the technical side. So I, I think balancing out what 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 I didn't have personally and people that would make me better that that were smarter than me in, in many areas um, that that was really important to me um, I forget who, who said this quote but you know you, you never want to be the smartest person in the room um, you know otherwise you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself growing if I was feeling in that set situation so I think that that was important to me um, you know with one of my as part of it has to is a lot of uh, kind of personal as well where you know, I, I had two kids, like I mentioned, and um, I um, my co-founder also has kids around the same age. So I think it, it did help in that sense where, um, you know, it, he kind of understood um, if, if I'm needing to, you know, take a couple hours off to take care of something at school or vice versa. So having folks that kind of un- understand um, where I'm at from a life stage standpoint was important. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think the other thing is, um, you know, I, I, it just with, with as we started expanding out the team, and you'd asked about culture. As I, I look at culture as kind of like a, a living, breathing roadmap. So we don't. It's something that's constantly evolving. So we might have certain goals for what our culture is now, but that might be different in three years and four years. Um, uh, and so if I, you know, I'm a, a product software guy. So if I use a metaphor, it's almost like in old school uh, software, you would buy a disk, install it once, and then never touch it again. In SaaS, you're constantly iterating, getting feedback. I think that's what's happened with culture. So in, in the past, you'd have a leader come in, install a culture, and, and not be constantly listening and evolving it. Um, so I do think we're moving. Um, that, that's what we try and do to constantly be listening. And when we hire folks, we don't want folks that are like us. We want folks that are um, filling in gaps to help us get to that next point in our in our a culture roadmap is, is kind of how I think about it. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pause there, but yeah, that's uh, my initial thoughts. Along with what actually Brian asked there, it makes me, um, it makes me curious to 
kind of like how you came across this idea. Like when, when somebody wants to start a business at something, it's usually something that they have some type of like expertise in. And I feel like a lot of people listening are like, you know, great. He started this business. It's super complex, but I'm assuming that you had a history with stuff like this. Um, but what necessarily brought upon the idea that this is what you wanted to start? Because it's, this, this is all very complex. And like Brian just asked you, you know, you built a team around this big idea, but what spurred the big idea in the first place? Yeah, so I, I've been in, you know, HR technology generally, as well as a talent acquisition technology and employee engagement technology for a while. So it's kind of on my mind, but what what specifically, um, you know, spurred this, this particular idea, um, you know, at my last company, um, we were certainly not not focused on this problem, but I was talking to lots and lots of customers that were kind of these mid-market companies that were hiring. Um, my last company where I was running product was focused on employee engagement. Um, but through that, I just met a lot of folks in talent acquisition and HR tech. And it just felt like in the mid-market, um, these folks had tools in sales and marketing to engage with sales prospects at scale, but in their talent acquisition departments, they were, they didn't. So that it, it, they had recruiting coordinators who were doing a lot of manual work. So really just talking to potential customers is, is what made me feel there was uh, something there. Um, you know, an example I sometimes give is, you know, if I told a marketer that, hey, we're, we, we'll drive a million eyeballs to your website, but we only have the sales team to, or the sales team only has time to engage with 3% of potential customers, that, that would not be good. You want to you want to talk to all your potential customers. Um, that That's kind of what's happening in, on the recruiting side. You have all these potential employees, um, but you're only engaging with a small piece. And, and I also started to see the problem, you know, be even bigger in B2C companies where oftentimes your job candidates are your best customers. So, um, you know, at, at Disney, for instance, I, I don't have the exact number, but um, job candidates at Disney spent something like six, seven, eight times as much money at Disney parks as just average Disney customers. Um, Starbucks job candidates spend more money on coffee than just the average um, person out there in the world, just Starbucks mm -hmm. candidates, I, I should say. So your job candidates in many ways for these B2C companies, what, what I was learning in my, as I talked to folks in talent acquisition are, you know, it, it, it just, they are oftentimes your best customers and, and they need to be treated better. Um, and I, I just didn't feel that hiring teams had the tools to do that. Um, so that was kind of the impetus. So you saw the need within the market and you thought of what the solution might be. Um, and then you put together the team and the concept and all of the execution work needed to bring this thing to life. But you mentioned that when you left Microsoft, you already had one child, second child is on the way. I can only assume that there's kind of that fear that this has to work. You know, I got to make sure my family is okay. I need to make sure that everything is stable. So what was going through your mind? Was it, did it feel like a risk? Did you feel like because of all the research you did, all of the homework you did, that this is kind of a, a sure shot or 80% shot? Or did you feel like there's a little bit of risk here? Like I could lose something. Yeah, no, great question. And, and certainly a lot of risk. Uh, you know, I, I remember spending a lot of time on 
figuring out like health insurance and, and things of that nature. Um, I actually, so part of like minimizing that risk is I didn't go direct from Microsoft to, to start my own thing. I first went to a, to a, a high growth HR tech um, startup so I could kind of learn the ropes around the startup world. So I spent two and a half years there. So that, that helped me um, I, I guess, m minimize some of the risk. Um, I think the other piece too is, you know, the, the business isn't necessarily going to fail because the exact product idea or solution is off a little bit. It's more the process of learning from your customers, iterating on the product and making something that they, that, that, that eventually fulfills their, their needs. So it doesn't have to be right out of the gate, a perfect fit, um, but you need to, so I had a lot of trust and faith in the process and my process in, kind of understanding what what is important to customers so i felt like even if the initial version of the product wasn't perfect or it didn't mean the business was going to fail it meant that we need to listen to our customers and build what they do want so that um they continue to pay for a product okay i have one quick follow-up to that because you're mentioning concepts that come out of the lean startup right so yeah. you're talking about the minimum viable product and you continue to iterate you continue to build, you measure, you learn, and you continue to make something that the customers want. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're early stage or even more seasoned in their startups that listen to this show. So could you give us maybe a small framework on how you learn from your customers? How do you do customer discovery? And how do you create a product that people actually want? Yeah. So the way I think about it is, um, you know, there's first I break out customers into cohorts. So you have um, existing customers, you have past customers that maybe have churned, you have new customers. Um, and then and then there's, I think, a lot you can um, break down further around, you know, the, the, this cohort started here when we had this feature set, this um, cohort started here and so forth. Um, as far as like getting data we need, um, so getting the product in people's hand through, through a minimum viable product as soon as humanly possible is very important to us um, and, and then just spending time with them so um, we uh, you know th there's listening mechanisms we use like sending out surveys um, we have in our experience candidates can rate and give feedback so we have kind of uh, ways of getting data in but it's also going out there so you know I'd oftentimes like call job candidates that went through and maybe had a negative experience we would have you know reviews with with our with our customers to ensure that we were hitting their needs. And I think the other trap sometimes people fall into is you don't want to just build for when you're starting, you know, you might just have three, four or five customers. So you, you, you there's kind of a balance between what Y Combinator would say, which I agree with. We went, went through Y Combinator and build, building something that a small group of people love, um, I think is very important. But, um, but then separately, I think the other important piece is knowing that, um, this group of customers is not necessarily representative of the broader market. So I think going at, when I'm talking customers, I'm also talking about potential customers and going out and, and interviewing them. So we did, I, before we wrote a line of code, I probably did probably about 50 coffees or so with um, people that were either recruiters or, and the hardest part for me is just, um, you know, you want to get your ego out of it and, and not lead the witness and just really understand kind of what their, their, their pain points really are. So I think going out and doing that before you start building is important because the more you build, the more attached you get to what you've built. So I think if you're able to 
to front end that research, then build MVP, um, you know, and, and then, you know, get feedback, both, both, um, you know, objective feedback, as well as, you know, going out and, and, and talking to folks, I think is, is, is important. You know, Prem, real quick, I, I, we can come back to this if, you, if there's something more you want to get to, Brian, but I'm, I'm really interested in, in an aspect, and this is going to, uh, first, let me ask you this. Um, are you first generation? Like, how are you, like, how are you raised and did you go to college? Like, just give me a little bit of an idea of like, like your parents, how you're raised and all of that real quick. Yeah. So my parents are both from India. Um, so my, um, both from Southern India. So my dad, um, it was kind of an interesting story. So he uh, was going to university in India and he really wanted to go to grad school in the, in the States. Um, this is before the internet. So he didn't know how to apply. So he went door to door um, at his college in, in, in India to see who had any extra applications um, to colleges in the U S and he, uh, someone had just finished um, and just someone got accepted somewhere else and had an extra application to USC. So he applied to USC. Um, he got in and um, I, think he probably had you know a couple hundred bucks or whatever but ma made it work um and uh you know got a job um and um you know was able to to pay that way so um i was born in so my and then my, my mom he eventually met my mom and, the, and they got married and mm -hmm. um her story was similar um and i was born so he got his first job in in kansas so i was born in, in wichita kansas and then moved uh, out to seattle when i was four or five um but, but yeah that's uh that's the origin story yeah and did you also like um where did you go to college like how like yeah. how was your education process yeah yeah so um went to university of washington so i've kind of been in the seattle area um my whole life um so um uh, majored in informatics which is kind of a mix between um design, human-centered, human-computer interaction, and, and engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, it was a fun, fun experience. I, you know, lived in a dorm one year, an apartment another year, a house another year, and a frat another year. So I kind of mm -hmm. did the whole gamut of, of living experiences. Um, and uh, yeah, met, met a lot of my, my close friends and, and actually Brian, my co-founder, um, I met at University of Washington as well. Um, so did undergrad and then started at Microsoft uh, after graduating in, in 2006. All right. Now, uh, the reason why I asked you all that is I'm very curious. You know, both Brian and I were first generation. Um, we were raised with a huge importance on education, huge importance on the, the education structure we have now, you know, um, elementary school, high school, college, et cetera. Right. And then you, you get into your job. But I want to know your take and like how you um, are kind of seeing the, the education of your own children and, and their path, because I feel like with the advent of the internet, with the advent of education on the internet and all the things that you see that are now possible as far as startups are concerned, as far as these kids out here starting businesses online at like 15, 16 or whatever. Yep. How do you think you might raise your children either the same or differently than maybe the way that your parents raised you because of now all the crazy opportunities and, and, and things that we have now. Um, and the reason I ask that is just because it, it feels like for certain things, the standard education route is cool, but I feel like there are so many other ways for kids to be able to educate themselves, to be able to get smarter at things they're really interested and passionate about and potentially figure that out earlier than just going the typical route? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, it's a lot in there. So, so I think, yeah, generally, and we're even, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about kind of how I, how I'm thinking about this with our, with my kids, with our kids. Um, 
but but yeah, definitely seeing this even um, you know for folks that are uh, there's a lot more movement. It's a bit lower barrier to entry to apply to jobs. Every a lot of things are remote now. So so I think to me it's. Um, you know, really what I want to instill in them is is a desire to kind of seek out what what makes them tick, what they're really passionate about, um, because you, you can I mean, like you mentioned, it's a lot easier to to upskill, to learn. Um, it's also easy to change easier to change vocations like back in the day you studied for one thing and then you're going to be, you know, like an engineer for your whole career or something like that. Um, but, but now I think it movement is easier. So I think focusing on a lot of the soft skills, um, focusing on curiosity, um, focusing on, um, you know, making it clear to, to our kids that, um, that their career is their choice and then they, and they, it's a process and kind of figuring that out. There's not like one path or, or another path. Um, so, so those things I think are important. And, and then, you know, being savvy enough to um, know what's kind of going on out there in terms of um, having the kids build, build skill sets so that they're savvy enough to, to take advantage of all the tech and all the stuff out there that can help them learn new skills and, and, and be trained in new ways. Um, so I do think, you know, there's no right way to, to raise a, um, a kid, but I do, I do think um, making sure that they know what all they have access to is, is very important. You mentioned curiosity, and that's something that we both really esteem. And being curious, being really passionate about learning and finding out what's around us and how do we like play a role in that. The question I want to ask is kind of around like the end destination. So I think every parent has an idea of success for their kid, right? They want them to be happy. They want them to feel fulfilled. But I think married to that has to be some level of self-discipline, right? I was listening to this show and um, this fellow was saying, you know, hard work isn't the kind of the indicator of success because we all know people who work really hard, two jobs, three jobs, and that doesn't lead to a level of success. But he said it, it's always the person that's willing to do something that others are not willing to do. So how do you kind of marry the idea of curiosity with self-discipline? Like, how do you, how do you like kind of walk that fine line to teach your, your children to be really disciplined, but to also be curious? Yeah, I know it's, it's a really good point. I mean, I, and I think when I think about discipline, it's a, um, it certainly is important, but not arbitrarily. So kind of when they say like work, work smarter, not, not harder necessarily. So I think, you know, channeling that discipline to things that you know you are really passionate about and, and figuring that out first. So figuring out your, your why first. So you mentioned happiness and, and you mentioned fulfillment. So I think if you're able to kind of find out first what, what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled and, and help kids do the same for themselves versus, um, you know, versus throwing it at them. Um, I, I think then, then it becomes important to have that, that uh, to have discipline around that. But, but I think you don't want to start out by just getting really hardcore on one specific thing until you've actually figured out your why and figured out your, your purpose. So that's kind of how I, I would think about it. But I think there's definitely a lot of ways to um, teach and, and provide structure around, around discipline so that when you have found that thing, you're executing in the right way. But, you know, as far as like, you know, curiosity and, and improvement, what are, 
other than the stuff that you got to learn, you got to continue reading for the work that you actually do. Um, what other ways or what other things do you do to like improve? Do you read certain types of books? Do you like have groups that you meet with? Like, what is the way that you're continuing to improve yourself, advance yourself outside of specifically what you're doing um, for work? Yeah, I mean, really, it's just a lot of listening and a lot of talking to people. So um, I'm part of a lot of different groups, and it's kind of interesting now Now trying out Clubhouse, and I'll see how that goes. But um, so, so I think just getting out there and, and not necessarily not taking an opportunity to engage because you're not sure you're going to learn anything. I find that you can learn anything from almost anyone in any circumstance. So so I do think just, just getting out there, um, you know, a lot of times when – if a, cold, a salesperson um, gives me a cold email um, and I'm not interested in buying the product, I might say, okay, I'm willing to chat with you, but um, let's also, I'd love to learn more about this part of your business. I might not buy the product, but I'll, I'll do the demo if, if I can pick your brain on on your industry or if or if you'll let me talk to you about my product so i think like anyone that reaches out i try and keep a fairly open door obviously you, you got to be mindful of time but but I, that's that's been having kind of an open door in that regard has been very helpful for me um I learned a lot from writing, actually. So even though, you know, reading, I, I find if I'm going to write something, it, I, I, particularly like a creative writing piece or a blog post that I'm, it kind of forces me to do the research because I know it's going to have my name on it and forces me to read. It forces me to talk to experts. So I think putting pen to paper and publishing things um, is one way that has really helped me learn a lot. Um, and and, for, and I, I think part of the learning too is, not just having the knowledge, but forming an opinion around it. Um, so, and I think when I'm writing specifically, that it helps me to to take in knowledge, and then think and think critically about it enough to form an opinion about it, which um, to me is a is really helpful in retaining the the stuff I've learned, but also executing on it. Um, but those are a couple of things that come to mind. Prem, I'm really curious to know, kind of what your next steps look like, and not. So on one side, I want to really know what your vision is for humanly in the next three to five years. What do you hope to accomplish? And as you are building your your household, as you are, you know, raising these young children, what does that next three to five years look like, both personally and professionally? Yeah, so I think I'm good with with two kids. So we'll probably keep probably keep it at that um, on, on the personal side. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited um, to, you know, we're kind of with, with young kids, it's, it's, um, it, it's fun to kind of see them go through similar steps that I went through. So we're starting t-ball, soccer. So I'm excited for, for all that dad stuff. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have some plans around living situations and, and growing out the family. I think showing um, the kids some of other experiences that I've had, like traveling is, is important to me. We, we took them to India before COVID and I'm planning to do some other trips so that, that that's having, allowing the kind of seeing the world with my kids is important and with my wife. Um, from a humanly standpoint, um, yeah, we're, we're looking to um, make as big of an impact as possible. We're seeing right now, and I kind of measure success in, in the impact that we're making to our cu customers, to our job candidates. Um, we're seeing a lot happening now where people are turning to automation like, like never before. And I think we have an opportunity to be the leader in, in our space, particularly in automating some of these top of the funnel recruiting tasks and helping people be better at, at interviews. Um, so really excited 
excited for that. Um, and, um, you know, I think growing the team is another piece. Um, another measure of success is, you know, um, for me is the, uh, the, the folks that we bring along on our journey. And I want to create positive impacts to our internal customers, our, our employees and my co-founders. Um, so I have, we have, we just did a, okay, our goal setting exercise this morning. And a lot of the, the company goals have to do with creating people that um, are creating an environment where our employees are engaged. And when they leave humanly, um, I want them to be really successful in whatever it is they do next. So um, that, that's top of mind for me. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's going to be a fun year. And the, the product I was describing around interview analytics is our, our new one. Um, so really exciting to get that out. And we are offering a free beta if any, if, if any uh, listeners are interested. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, um, that, that will help us fulfill our mission around being a part of all these kind of repetitive candidate interactions. Cream. I think this is um, the the last question that I have for you because what you when you mentioned the goal setting thing and you know having your um, having your employees set goals it made me curious about you as a CEO um, what would you say maybe it's not even books maybe it's like groups or people but um, for our audience you know some of them are in college some of them are trying to learn how to be better leaders um, what would do you, would you say would be the main resources or the main top three resources or books that helped you to learn how to become a better CEO, a better uh, leader in general? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I like um, the book, Hard, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, that, that was good for me. I think having a career coach, so I, I, I work with an executive coach that has been very helpful for me. So I think having that outside person that's not affiliated with the company, um, that can kind of be with me through multiple companies um, is, is good, uh, very, very, very effective for me. So from an accountability standpoint, but also just from, a, you know, having someone that is um, at your side that kind of knows what makes you tick and what's important to you and can help call mm-hmm. you out when you're maybe steering away from that. Um, so that, that that's certainly helpful. Um, and I, I think separately, you know, of course, you know, reading and I, I, I think with, with, there's a lot out there, of course, a lot of books, a lot of material. I, I think getting structure around implementing what I'm learning is, is it, what, what I'm reading about and seeing if it works, experimenting with it. Um, similarly to doing like a minimum viable product on the on the product side, I think testing out um, different um methods of leadership, uh, different, different outputs is important because I think you're, you're always going to be growing, um, as a leader. Um, and then just like asking for feedback. So, um, I, I want to create a culture here at our company where, you know, anyone can call me out. So I, I was getting called out a couple weeks ago because my internet connection was slow and people were tired of it. Um, and then, so I had to fix that and they got a router ex- extender to make my Wi-Fi faster. But I think in some cases I've seen cultures where people are scared to call other folks out or to, mm-hmm. you know, just give them feedback. So I think being open with that is, is, uh, is important. Prem, and I have that this is a question I want to ask, but if you do not think, if you don't want to answer this, I totally get it. Um, but I know, I know a lot of individuals that do have career coaches and those career coaches help them out immensely. 
immensely, like crazy, the amount of scale that these individuals are able to achieve because of that mentor from that, that career coach that kind of just helps them get over all these pitfalls that you typically go with, go through without that type of individual as a coach. Um, but some of these individuals, like they're paying a good amount of money, something that a lot of people don't expect. And they're like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that, but it's an investment. So my curious, my answer, my question to you is like, what, like what range of money are you paying this individual in terms of help coaching you through these pitfalls? So just so people can understand, I know there are different ranges, but you need to invest in yourself. And some people are out here like spending 100K a year for a coach. I'm just curious, like for you, how has it benefited you? And like, what do you think the prices around if you're willing yeah, to share that? Yeah. What, what, and I guess it also depends on what, what they're looking to get out of it. So I, I think in my situation, it's a monthly uh, meeting um, about an hour um, and, it, you know, very much, very much focused specifically on humanly. And, and we, we do talk about um, life stuff as well, but um, this particular person is, is really good at this stage. So early stage startup. So I think finding the right person and knowing what you want out of it is, is where you start. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't spend, um, anything above like 10k a year um but mm -hmm. but that that's just our, my budget right so i think um there there's no there's there's not really a price on on growth right so if, if you feel that um that you can afford that and um, and you find the right person then that it could totally make sense. Um, I've seen 100k go to far worse things than than that. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think, like you said, looking at it as an investment, also also making sure that you're um, getting into a situation where if you're not 100% sure that they're you're not signing like long term contracts, because I think a lot a lot of it too is um, so that was important to me to have that flexibility. Um, there's other ways you can structure it, like if if this person is you know, more of an advisor, um, potentially there's something you do with, with stock or, or something of that nature. I probably wouldn't recommend that unless, unless you, unless they were really helping in, in that way. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think generally I would, from, from my needs, I, I'm looking at things that are less than a thousand bucks a month. Gotcha. Sounds good. Yep. Perfect. Prems, thank you so much for being here today. I think folks are going to learn a lot, not only about humanly, not only about, um, customer acquisition, but they're going to really see your story and they're going to receive that and see how they could kind of apply that to their own lives. So where can people find more about you and find more about Humanly? Yeah. Um, so you can check out Humanly at humanly.io. Um, so the word humanly.io. You can email me anytime. So it's just my first name, P-R-E-M at humanly.io um, or look me up on LinkedIn or on Twitter at, at Prem Kumar Tweets. Awesome. And you said you were looking for folks for the beta to try out the beta platform. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So both, uh, both candidates, um, as well as that are going through interviews as well as hiring teams, um, super easy to use. You just invite voice at humanly.io to your zoom meeting or to your Google hangout once, once I set you up, um, and we send you weekly reports with ways that you can improve, um, in, in the interview. So again, it's free, free beta, feel free to email me, um, if you're interested in trying it out. Amazing. Definitely reach out to Prem and uh, get connected. We think this is an amazing platform. So Prem, thank you so much for being here. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Cool. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.